0: Would you like to take a philosophy course from me this fall? Learn more at partiallyexaminedlife.com slash class. This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. This is philosophy versus improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. My name is Bill Arnett, an improv CEO. Yet in the mailroom of philosophy, this is Mark Linton Meyer, uh, philosophy. I would say upper middle management, definitely entry level intern, unpaid in improvisation. And our special guest today, Monica, introduce yourself in whatever way you see fit.
1: Uh sure. I'm Monica McCarthy. I'm an improv slash philosopher fangirl, Maybe we could say. There
0: we go. <laughs> I had listened to your the Happier Hour podcast, which I, I'll admit. I was not up enough to realize that it doesn't exist anymore. So, but you had a philosophy podcast that was a stage show first and foremost. Can you say a little about that before we?
1: So that was in New York City. I'm actually, I'm currently chatting to y'all from London, but yeah, I used to, for many years, host various live events and talkbacks and shows and I wanted to do something that involved philosophy and my, one of my passions. And so there was this great space in New York city called caveat and they were known as a speakeasy for nightlife. There's a wonderful cat in <laughs> in your video, I love it. So I pitched them the idea for this show, which in the first season, it was me with three guests, one who was an academic philosopher and two people who were just sort of known in their field for something. And there was a theme for the evening, and I would assign each a philosopher to discuss, or I would introduce why I thought of them for that particular philosopher. And then that was a lot. So season two, I had one academic philosopher and one guest. And so yeah, the, the format was usually some sort of opening monologue I did. We ha- also would have a and a at the end with everyone, and we would have somebody live draw what they were hearing. We often had haikuists type out haikus about the event and also on the break for or at the intermission, I guess you could say, for the guests. But yeah, it was just a fun time. And then would record it for the podcast as well, which came later.
0: Now, I know we were talking about haiku trementarizing this podcast of making more haikus. We'll pursue that. We have precious few. We
2: have precious few. <laughs> haikus in this podcast of ours. Let's fix that now.
0: Nailed it. (laughs) Okay, there we go. One down. Think if you're counting symbols, even if it's not right, it sounds like it's the haiku. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, That's probably all that's necessary. But I didn't realize when I had reached out to you until I was looking again at your bio, how well suited you are to this, that you're just as steeped in the showbiz and improv specifically. What's your background sort of with that? and theater more widely.
1: Yeah. So I'm a professional actress and more recently getting into writing and directing as well. I did do improv. I took improv for many years in New York City, a place called Magnet, Magnet Theater. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In college, it was comedy, sports. Maybe that was high school. I don't remember. It all blends together. It was all <laughs> more than two years ago. So yeah. And I initially was musical theater, actually, and then ended up randomly booking my first really big gig, which was a Broadway thing and a drama and never did musical theater really again. Then I left the business for eight years. I thought I was living all together. That's when I was doing the events and also getting really interested in philosophy. I thought about going back to school specifically to get my PhD in philosophy. Got talked out of that by some wonderful philosophers. And got to travel, writing, and tried a whole bunch of different things on. Traveled a bunch, and ended up back to acting, and then now writing, and probably possibly bringing back the podcast in some iteration. There's just a lot of irons in the fire, so. We shall see.
2: Sure. It sounds like the classic actor's lifestyle of uh, putting a lot of stuff out there, hoping something bites.
1: Sure. Most of them, I don't think do philosophy podcasts, but there is always a world of the unknown. (laughs) That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, all of this training has just been to prepare you for what's happening in this hour, which I brought a lesson in after extensive consultation with you over the internet, uh, at least three messages. (laughs) We generally hide that from Bill. A little bit you just you said the greek word but he doesn't know the greek word so it's okay it's still a Mm. secret to bill bill has brought in the the bringing that that he brings to the broughtons which is a lesson in the improv world that he will smuggle in in the course of our discussion and scenes you might know this
2: one monica you may not like it it may not be in your stylistic range but being from new york Mm -hmm. certain three letters comes up when we talk about the New York improv scene.
1: Oh, UCB. They're fantastic.
2: Okay, yes. But they have a particular style and a particular rule that might be considered their rule number one that I don't think Mark knows. Now, again, mm-hmm. improv's like music. There's a lot of ways to play music right. So I don't, and, and just because you're in a particular style doesn't mean you're doing that style well. And I know some people don't like necessarily this style. That's fine. But I do think rule number one,
0: which... I can You gave me
1: like I know I haven't done improv taken an improv class in probably 15 years.
0: <laughs> That's fine.
1: <laughs> it's been a minute.
0: Position number 1, arms out just like the sun. Is that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I can put a little chat message
2: to you if you like. And th- and this will be the thing for the day. I'll make sure it's just to you.
1: Thing for the day, does that mean we we try to do this throughout the conversation?
2: Well, we will have little
0: improvised segments where we will do this. But theoretically, the two lessons are not supposed to take turns. That we're supposed to work the philosophy theme into the scenes, work the improv lesson when applicable into the discussion. We found after trying to take that rule very literally in our first episode that we should never do exactly that. But it is we we take (laughs) it as it as it feels. Follow the
2: scene, follow the moment, let the conversation flow.
0: At the very end, you will be called on as judge to decide whether the improv lesson or the philosophy lesson is the most profound, is the most earth-shaking. Will be the thing that will affect our audience and you, following you around for years to come. Yeah, I have introduced
2: many concepts to Mark and many things over the last year and a half, but we have not done this one.
1: Great, I haven't either. <laughs>
2: Real, okay, okay, all okay, right. Okay, I, 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 come back to me. I don't know. <laughs> now I know the magnet kind of is doing their own thing, and and the pit as well. But this was a very big UCB concept. We'll see if we can make it make it work in our improv scenes.
1: Great. All I remember is yes, and. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect.
0: Okay, Mark, should we bring in this philosophy thing? I think we should just get to the improvising. We've been jabbering in a non-improvised form.
2: I will have a very strict rule to follow. I think you will know when this rule is no longer pertinent, no longer germane. But the rule is, until you feel otherwise, and you'll probably get a signal from me Let's try to play this as normal and as slice of life as possible. Does that make sense?
1: I have no idea what we're doing. It's going to be great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think he was trying to say for me that I should not say
0: my character is a pickle.
2: Yes. We're going to try to keep this as normal and slice of life as possible. And I'm going to try to use and demonstrate this technique made famous by the UCB upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. And I'll I'll try to do it, but it requires all of us to, to play very slice of life. Does that make sense? And you'll, sure. I think you'll notice when we can start pushing being a bit more direct, but yeah. Are we ready? Everybody Slice it. Can, we, can we do this? Mark, you okay? I'm as slicey as I can be. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm thinking if we get the, uh, the raffle tickets over right where people come in the door, come into the event, we'll have the raffle station over there. I'm not sure if someone wants to man that or not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can do that. Awesome. 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 And then maybe we can do some of the more rummage sale items uh, you know kind of towards the back, you know, as people can browse that at their own their own leisure.
1: I mean, it's for a good cause. Oh yeah.
2: yeah hmm mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
2: What was that mark? What Sorry? are we giving away?
0: What's the, what are the what's we're, the raffle we're giving
2: in? away? We're not it's, it's like a rummage sale.
0: Yeah, but the the raffle what, what is what are the prizes involved? I mean, is it whatever people don't buy from the
2: rummage sale? what it's what? it's like a 50 50. Like it's a 50 50 raffle. You know, all the money that goes in, we, we take half the pot, and the you know, people whoever wins gets the other half the pot. All
0: right. Well, that's, that's I simpler. mean, it's, it's,
1: for a good, it's for a good cause. I mean, as you brought up, yeah. Bill, uh, definitely.
0: Totally. Remind totally.
1: me of the name of it again, though. I, I forget. I know it's three words.
2: Three, three words? You don't know the name of the cause.
1: I, I just, it's in my mind. It's been, I have jet lag, you know.
2: Pediatric Cancer Society. Right. You forgot that.
1: You forgot that. I did. I did. Well, because I came to you from the short term memory loss society. So I'm happy to lend my talents. This is, this is like, I, I, how, do, how do you,
0: we're debating whether it was the pediatric society of cancer, which sounds like it's a place for cancer to thrive or something. Um, but I, I like yours better. You like mine.
2: That's what it is though. I, I don't know how, I mean, who forgets childhood cancer? I, I don't know if this has been on all the emails. It's been on all the things and you guys forgot.
1: You know, there, there's a lot going on, given the the holiday that we are currently in, which I forget because I have short term loss. Um, but Mark, and I'm sure you remember, it's National What Day again?
0: I mean, it's National Diabetes Day, which which is is very confusing to do the cancer thing on the diabetes.
2: Y'all, this is a very a very solemn event. All the people coming here are probably experienced, or certainly wish they don't have to experience pediatric cancer.
1: Well, we're going to, we're going to entertain them so they can forget their troubles, you know, for one night. Um, And we've got great prizes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Got two pens right here. Those are going to go for a lot of money.
2: Mark, what's this event about? When people ask, where's the money going? What are
0: you going to say? Curing, palliative care. I mean, it's really about quality of life. It's about about, pediatric
2: cancer. I'm I'm saying
0: for pediatric cancer patients. That was sort of assumed. But you're saying, what specifically, how does it benefit the pediatric cancer patients? It's up for them to decide. They can spend the money however they want. We're raising money for them. It's just, a, we just turn it over in cash. So like if the parents can be like, yes, well, you know, there's not much hope for the kids. So let's just spend this on lottery tickets. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I would want to attach some strings to the money to ensure that it's actually used for... Do you want... Really? I thought this was going to the medical foundations to cure the cancer, not just to, can cancer kids be trusted with, with a lot of money, I guess is the question. Wow. That's what you think. This is how this works.
1: Oh, this is really dark. I might, uh, you know, have diabetes, but Mark, I think you, you belong to the National Cynic Society. You definitely are not flourishing in today's world, which I'm, I'm trying to get us, you know.
2: A, am going to make sure you guys have some brochures on you. That'd be great. I'm going to make sure your name tags say pediatric cancer society. I'm going to make sure that all that's perfectly clear. All right. Cause I don't want anyone asking you about things and you don't know have the answers. Okay.
1: Can I have my Twitter handle on there too? Just in case they,
2: you want your Twitter handle on your name? Yeah. Tag?
1: Well, because you know, when you meet people like that's a really great way I'm told to network is if you can, you know, put your handle on your name tag, even more important than your name.
0: That is part of what goes into flourishing in today's society, for sure.
1: Yeah. Is there anything Is there anything worse
2: than children with cancer? Can we put our egos to the side for three hours?
1: I mean, have you ever had only like one like to something that you've posted? That's pretty bad.
2: Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, hey, you know, fine. You can have your Twitter handle on your name tag. Thank you. All right. Mark, you want to put your Twitter handle on your name
0: tag, too? As you said, children with cancer is like the worst thing. And we're inviting people in here and saying, Hey, let's dwell on the worst thing. It seems like we should have something else on the name tags.
2: Well, that's the idea. They know what's bad. They want to end it. They want to stop it. And they want to make sure that the people that are stricken can at least have the quality care that they deserve. All right. That's what we're doing. Okay. And that's not even us. We're not even the pediatric cancer society. All right. We're just affiliated with the church here and we're just handing the money over. Okay. And what percentage? And yes, we will get a receipt.
1: What if I add that hashtag cancer sucks?
2: No, don't, let's not, I don't, this
0: shouldn't be networking. We shouldn't be networking.
2: Okay.
0: This is a somber event. Okay. Are Are you saying cancer doesn't suck, Bill? Is that, why would you not want to put that on a hashtag? Fine you can have your Twitter handle. Thank you. You're going to have hashtag cancer sucks on your name tag. Okay. Thank you. And memory loss sucks as well. I mean, I I'm sorry, Monica, that you're, you're going through that. Well, that's another, that's another event. That's another event. What is that? What did you one?
1: say? What, what memory
0: loss? <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't mean to bring up something uh, so personal that you would forget it. Appreciate it. Okay. Can we get
2: to our stations? Everybody, Mark, you're going to head over to the raffle, right? Monica, you're going to be helping out with the rummage sale. Absolutely. Everybody is everybody. Everybody clear on what their what their jobs are.
1: Finally, <laughs>
2: <laughs> finally, finally, wow, finally. All right, I'm just gonna. Hey, we'll stop right All there. Right. We'll stop right there, Mark. I'm sorry. I'm sure, you had more
0: <laughs> balloon animals of cancer cells. Is that a thing? That's probably not a yeah. thing.
2: No, don't do that. Don't All do right. that. I'm glad we ended when we did.
0: Yeah. So Monica made a good attempt <laughs> to throw in there. I I tried to throw in there beforehand, but the philosophy lesson that we're getting toward. Oh, okay. Which I don't even know.
1: Well, we're all in the dark in some way, or shape or form, it seems. That's amazing. The topic, I believe, is eudaimonia. Is that correct?
0: So yes, Monica's podcast was called The Happier Hour mm-hmm. and was all about not just a lot. Of, I know a lot of philosophy that I bring up here, Bill's like, what's the point of that? How am I going to apply that to my life? But philosophy is supposed to be from the OGs, from Plato about the good life. is about figuring out that's like the whole point. Okay. And so that's what eudaimonia in Greek is, is the good life, which is often translated as happiness, but that is maybe a question as to whether what we in the West think of as happiness, is that the same? Do I have to be gleeful right now? Is that, okay. is that the good life? And it seemed like uh-huh. this cancer thing we were just going through, doing things like that, helping other people, going through the work, It seems like that actually probably is part of a satisfying life, but yet, does it make you happy? I mean, that's just maybe the English word is too ambiguous. And I can
2: imagine that there's like, well, what about people who are just kind of crooked, not nice by temperament? What makes them happy might be, others might perceive as cruel, but then you could say, but are they really happy? Or are they just deluding themselves? And, you know, I'm looking for answers, Monica.
1: Oh, wow. What's the
0: answer? Answer this Age-old question. Yeah, what does the cynic think about eudaimonia? Uh, Well, uh,
1: I mean, I'm no cynic, so I don't know. But I would say the concept of even the happier hour was meant to be a bit tongue-in-cheek. The tagline is actually philosophy to help life suck less. Uh, And it was definitely (laughs) the happier hour, not the happy hour, because the goal, we can never truly be happy because happy is a feeling and feeling is fleeting. I shouldn't say we can never be happy in a moment, but it's not something that's sustainable. And so that's why the ancient Greeks were like, hey, you know, maybe that's not the goal. So the translation, as you mentioned, Mark, isn't entirely accurate for uh, eudaimonia Mm. to say happiness. If anybody here is the etymology, you've got the EU, I mean, like good and daimonia coming from the word daemon, which was something akin to the soul. So it's sort of like you okay. know, having a good soul, good spirit, and so then there was a bit of a showdown, as I'm sure you all are familiar between Plato and Aristotle of exactly what that looks like. But it's something akin to a virtuous life, a life of someone who lives in integrity. Aristotle takes it a step further uh, and talks about it being related to a sort of like the golden mean, the idea that you have a lot of eudaimonia if you are neither if you're going to neither extreme. So, for example, one of the virtues would be courage. You're somebody who is neither a coward nor are you just blazingly you know, rushing into something for no good reason. So that's in a nutshell, my <laughs> understanding of eudaimonia, uh, the end. But it's I've been thinking about a lot actually in terms of, you know, all of that sounds great, but how do we apply it today? That was what we were talking about when you guys discussed philosophy. That's something that's really important to me. That was why I started the happy hour in the first place and why I didn't go the route that I was initially going to do in academia because to me, I'm grateful that there are people who do that. But for me, I was really interested in philosophy as a practical way of being able to apply it in these lessons in life. So, yeah, it's a very old-fashioned word for some very contemporary issues, I think.
2: Now, I noticed your little correction from happiness to a good soul. I guess that would answer my question about well, what are people who are just kind of crappy, you know, just kind of miserable people. That answer is that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other interesting aspect of it that both Plato and Aristotle were really interested in was not just for the individual, but for society as a whole. I mean, Plato's got the whole republic to talk about it, that both of them, one thing they did really agree on was that the role of the government should be to help people to achieve as much eudaimonia in their lives as possible. So I think that's interesting in and of itself that they weren't even looking at it from the point of view of just the individual, because even if it's something that makes you happy. Uh, it's not like Cheryl Crow says, it's not true that it can't be that bad. It is actually true that if it harms another, that, that wouldn't necessarily be in line with eudaimonia.
0: Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the ancient Greeks, they stack the deck, you know, it's right there in the word. How can you, how can you ask, can you be happy and yet not virtuous? It's right there in the word. And you know, of course, this was challenged almost immediately. Plato has a famous example: the Ring of Gyges, which is sort of—it's—it's like—it's like the Ring Frodo and Bilbo. It's—it makes you invisible. So, wouldn't you go around? Says one of the interlocutors to Plato and uh, to Socrates in Plato's dialogue, and immediately just. Steal. Go to the girls' locker yeah, room. It, Go to the girls' <laughs> locker room. Yeah. Whatever makes you happy, Bill. Whatever.
1: <laughs> if that's the thing you would choose. That's weird. <laughs> uh,
0: I just want to make sure. I just want to see if it's cleaner than the boys' one. That's really
2: weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no one's there. It's at night. It's not. No one's going to be there.
0: Yeah. But yes, wouldn't you immediately, if you had some sort of magical way to gain the upper hand to just be Mm -hmm. as selfish as possible. But according to this, Plato's theory at least is, well, your soul would be out of balance. You would think this would give you more freedom, but you'd actually be a slave to your own desires that, you know, whatever happiness is, you know, this is why this word flourishing that we used is Mm -hmm. maybe more accurate. And Aristotle thought of that very much in terms of, you know, what is the flourishing of any kind of creature? I know we've talked about this before. The oak tree, we can say a big, strong oak as opposed to a disease looking one. And we can do that with animals and people are kind of the same thing. It's just that we have this extra rationality on there. So it makes it more complicated. Um, but it seems like the flourishing that, you know, being the most Bill that you can be or the most human, if maybe there's not a Bill specific nature, it, you know, it depends what, what philosopher you ask. But, you know, there's some potential that you have and fulfilling that potential, whether you feel happy. So, right, Plato argues against the Ring of Gyges example that he just rules out by definition that you could be both thoroughly immoral and, yeah, I'm happy with my life. Not just now, but in the long term. I'm satisfied that I went around pillaging. I never got caught, you know, so it all worked out.
2: Back to this ring. Is it real? Does it exist? I mean, can we find this thing?
1: I mean, you've got to go to the ends of the earth, right? Have your sidekick uh, and a cape. (laughs)
0: E N D S. Jump into the volcano where it's been notice. left by the last crew. Ooh. I'm sure I'm sure it'll be, be there for you, bud. I'll need to
2: assemble a squad in order to do that. Maybe have some unintentional hangers on <laughs> to make that happen. <laughs> Virtues have come up before, Mark. We were speaking with someone a
0: few weeks ago who was all about living life. Tanner virtuous. Campbell, the the practical stoicism podcast, stoicism being one of the traditions that came out of this platonic strain. Uh-huh. But yeah, Monica, what do you think about, I just, as let's get real, do you actually have to be virtuous? Certainly we don't have a weird model of the soul that Plato did where rationality has to be in ascendant. It's, it's more complicated, but what, what do you think the relationship between virtue and, and flourishing is?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because especially, it's funny, I used to be much more of a fan of Plato and really not a huge fan of Aristotle. And I've sort of switched my views. I realized Plato was a better writer, of course, but Aristotle, I'm like, okay, I I get it. I see what you're doing here. It's a little bit more tangible, practical. But I think that, um, and also Plato wasn't a fan of art, um, which is another topic that we could talk about in relationship to eudaimonia, because Aristotle pointed out that could actually help us uh, towards a life of eudaimonia. It's such an interesting topic in general of, you know, what is virtue and what is living a virtuous life. I'm not a Stoic personally. I know it's quite popular and on the rise, particularly among certain populations, but <laughs> meaning males, I mean, not that I'm like, there's great things that come out of it. But when I think sure. about someone, when I think about eudaimonia for myself, I think in general, that's an amazing thing to strive for, right? Because the premise behind it is that you have some sort of purpose or belief in what you are meant to do in this life. You have certain talents and skills, and you try to take steps forwards in towards increasing those talents and skills and being of, of use. I think what it misses and what stoicism in general, for example, for me personally misses are these moments of awe and transcendence and beauty and joy. And those to me are of equal importance towards living a good life, but never really mentioned <laughs> in these sort of traditions. So I'm sort of like, I guess if you could combine, you know, I know you had one of my good friends, Sky Clerion, who talks a lot about authenticity, you can sort of like combine that world of existentialism with this world. That might be more of what I personally subscribe to but i know that i'm probably there's listeners right now that want to throw things at my face because there's such a, a <laughs> huge uh, huge rise of stoicism particularly in the u.s
0: let's talk about hello fresh america's number one meal kit would you like farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep would you like to not have to go to the grocery store and instead count on hello fresh to make home cooking easy fun and affordable Well, take a bite out of summer with HelloFresh. I have personally, on my own dime, used this service repeatedly. The recipes are always good. They're always simple, even for somebody like me that's not good at cooking. But they come out fancy. I see one of the recipes this week is creamy lemon spinach ricotta ravioli. Now, I make ravioli from the grocery store, and it does not seem fancy. It's just frozen or fridge-section pre-made stuffed pasta that I put standard spaghetti sauce on. Well, no, this has the little lemon wedges. It has bell pepper and Parmesan. It is plated like something from a nice restaurant, 25% cheaper than takeout. So I get to feel like I'm actually contributing to my family's dining experiences and not just making a frozen pizza or throwing the pasta in the boiling water, whatever. Every week, there are 40 recipes to choose from. And you could just tell them your preferences. I put down vegetarian... And they'll pick out some good stuff for you or you can proactively, as I do, go on the website, make sure you like those meals, maybe switch it out, maybe skip a week, skip every week, heck. Plus, you can add snacks, sides, you can pick from a curated selection of over 100 items, including for this summer, crowd-pleasing eats from a backyard bratwurst bar to tangy key lime pie. This all makes summer entertaining very easy. So, you're saving time, you're reducing food waste... You're always able to find something new that you will like. You can choose the fast and fresh recipes that are ready in just 15 minutes or less. You can choose calorie smart options. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Improv50 and use code Improv50 for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh.com slash Improv50, 50% off for free shipping with the code Improv50. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Also, I've got a great recommendation for you guys, the Twit Podcast Network. When it comes to Apple, these guys know what they're talking about. Leo Laporte of the Twit brought his first Mac over 40 years ago in 1984 and has been an Apple lover ever since. And this is why Leo and his friends have not one, not two, but three Apple Podcasts on the Twit Podcast Network. The oldest, of course, is MacBreak Weekly, started almost 20 years ago. Alex, Lindsay, Andy, Jason Snell, and Leo talk about the latest Apple news. They're Apple fans, but not Apple fanboys. They call it as they see it. And sometimes they're even a little hard on Apple. They also do a show called iOS Today with Micah Sargent and Rosemary Orchard. If you're into iPads, iPhones, Apple Watches, or Apple TV, you'll love iOS Today. Then, of course, there's Hands on Mac. Inside tips from Micah Sargent on getting the most out of your Macintosh every week. Expert analysis, helpful advice, and entertaining discussions. Go to twit.tv slash apple to find your next favorite Apple podcast.
2: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts.
0: Oh, 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 O'Reilly
1: Auto Parts.
2: Can I ask a nasty question?
1: Depends what you mean by nasty.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is the one that you would think that might be brewing. I know, Mark, I may not have bought this up a ton, but I, I do bring up once you get into any field, be it music theory or philosophy, once you start getting deep, you start losing touch with how this affects our everyday lives. And as Mark mentioned earlier, and certainly in some of the things you've mentioned, I definitely see connections with our everyday lives. We're not into logical arguments. If A, then B we're, we're actually quite talking about virtues and things that we all understand and get. This is going to sound a little snotty, but simpler people, simple people, people who don't necessarily feel like they need to analyze their life or be deep thinkers about that and are perfectly content you know what i'm saying the whole notion of like is the unanalyzed life worth living <laughs> I, I don't i forgot who said that some uh-huh. it was socrates yeah yeah Socrates. okay and, and it's like are we expecting everybody everybody it's like i've met some very cool fun awesome people who just the idea of self-reflection is just not oh i don't know that's just not my thing i would rather do other stuff and it's not that they're bad people or less their lives not valuable is there any way for, for any of this to like I feel like there's a doorway opened to
0: some simpler concepts when we talk about virtuousness. Let me add a question to the question, and then I'll let Monica answer it, which is, yes, do we need, as part of the good life, necessarily self-reflection philosophy or intense analytical? Yeah. And one of the ways of, of, you know, I was just saying, if Bill's going to be an excellent, is it that he wants to be an excellent Bill? And there might be, a, you know, unique potentials, and maybe philosophy is not a part of that recipe? Or is as Aristotle and Plato both seem to think some sort of human nature that makes it so there is at least in broad outlines a good life that's going to work for everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting cuz definitely obviously Plato and Aristotle like and uh, Socrates they believed in philosopher kings. So they were definitely, you know, very very <laughs> hardcore proponents of that was really the the way and the only way to go. I of course don't believe that. I think it depends on what you're talking about when you're talking about philosophy. If you're going to the basics of what philosophy means, a love of wisdom, then I do think that is important for good life for most people. I think what's hard is when you get into like, does this person have access? If you're talking about like a proper education, I don't think that's the same thing. And everything is really also relative to what people around you have. There's all these studies about happiness that it's not necessarily about a certain amount of money or education or status or whatever. It's what you have relative to the people around you, to your family, to your community. So, uh, you know, if if you grew up somewhere where that's just like not even a part of, Your daily life, you know, I'm not gonna be like, oh, well, you didn't go to Oxford. Like, you clearly can't be happy. I think that's insane. But in terms of intentionality, in terms of curiosity, those are two things that I think are core elements of philosophy. And again, from philosophy in its basic form of a love of wisdom. So, if you're somebody who is genuinely curious about the world and your place in it, I do think that's pretty important. I'm also the very envious of people that seem to have an innate sense of self, often from an early age. And I don't necessarily think that makes them less happy. Often it's more, you know? And Mm -hmm, so I think mm -hmm. everyone, it's just a different path. So when I think about some people, you know, when you think about certain people where you're like, they were just destined to be a doctor. They just, they were so great with people from an early age. They weren't scared of blood. They, you know, they, or they thrived on whatever, whatever it was. And that sort of the idea of eudaimonia, that's a piece of it is like, whatever it is that you are naturally good at and enjoy, do more of that. And there it's interesting because there's all these studies now about what makes happier people? Because I looked up, I was curious, are people with higher IQs more likely to be happy or less likely to be happy? Yeah, I actually thought it was going to be less likely to be happy and it was more, but (laughs) that again, it's not if these other elements aren't in place. It's not that if you're smarter, you're happier. I think it's more of like, if you're somebody who tend to be curious, happiness, again, in this sense of eudaimonia, not necessarily in what we think of as the emotion happy. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. they're they're very different things. Because again, you pneumonia requires striving towards a sense of purpose. That's like an actual element mm-hmm. of it. So you can't really be fulfilled if there's nothing to fulfill.
2: <laughs> and I'm presuming that there is when we start talking about virtues, there is kind of a well, we all agree this is a, a good virtue, right? Like I can't <laughs> have too much debate as to what the
0: virtues should be. As opposed to the virtue of a thief, like being a good thief. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, or just like
1: well, like the, like they would talk about like temperance, for example, or courage or fortitude, and I think, yes, you can definitely like go down that road or you can go down the road of again, more of like just self awareness of what makes you <laughs> in alignment with integrity again, I think it's it's challenging because a lot of things depend on what was modeled to you, how did you grow up? You could look at whole societies and countries where you would be like that wouldn't align with my sense of of a virtuous life so That is one of the sticky road of morality. (laughs) You
2: said earlier that courage doesn't
0: mean foolhardy. Right. Certainly doesn't mean cowardice, but also doesn't mean that's Aristotle. I think we talked about that. There's sort of in every virtue, there's a golden mean of if it's too much or too little, you're probably fallen off the mark. And then you might want to still debate the last episodes that Monica posted of her podcast were about humility and specifically, maybe from a feminist perspective. And, you know, humility has often been, oh, this is one of the cardinal virtues. But the way that that is imposed on people and a lot of the great thing about virtue ethics is it's more about what do I want to be rather than this is how you should be. That this is sort of built into the, uh, but certainly hasn't stopped any social program that wants to promote a certain set of values to then, you know, we want to impose it at least on the young. And so trying to get all these people to be, to underestimate their talents by being humble. Don't brag, but actually maybe your way of excelling, it would be irrational for you to underestimate your talents or to downplay or that, you know, you got to go out and let your light shine, that that's actually might be part of your... Uh... some ambition is not necessarily bad either, but we've all met, I mean, ambition
2: is a word that is equally evil and good at the same time. <laughs> <have> no, like
1: <laughs> again, it comes down to intention. And that's one of the things that, again, the Greeks really come back to is like, nobody really knows except for you. So take the you know humility example. There's also fit, such fake humility that can go on as well, right? So the Dark. idea is that it really is... Got to be aligned with you and your own intention and purpose, and that's why it's so interesting when we get into finger pointing. Whether it's as philosophers, whether it's in academia, whether it's in uh, religious institutions, or whatever it is, that's the challenge. Because if you're going to be in a position of leadership and teaching these things, then you do have to learn what they are and share that knowledge. But that is different than saying, you know, this is the way and the only way. And 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 so one of the things I do tend to look to is to see who is attracted to certain ideas and ideals, and that to me says a lot.
2: Sure. Now I've definitely met people who are very rigid in their beliefs and thinking. And in fact, probably 50% of the population, a good, good chunk of people, they just want to be just tell me what right and wrong is. Tell me what the culture is. Tell me what the norms are. Tell me what the swear words are. Tell me what's expected of me. And then just leave me alone. I'll work in this thing. And then of course, as society changes, they get very grouchy because now (laughs) society has changed, but it's not, it's not like I was when I grew up. And I just, I just want to know they're not necessarily evil, but they just want to know what right and wrong are and have them locked in place.
1: Well, that's the, that's the problem, isn't isn't it? Because. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think it's a lot of people though. I, I don't, I don't think it's just like, you know, one guy. I think there's probably a lot of people who, who have that.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you could look at banality of evil and how that whole concept came about. And it's so much about, well, I looked to my left and I looked to my right. And everybody was just saying how Hitler. And so I thought it was okay. You know, and then that is the problem, you know, the danger of society. And that's when, again, another thing I love about philosophers, and the study of philosophy is seeing where these schools of thought came out of, to me, is equally as important as what they offer, because nothing comes out of a vacuum. Everything is coming from something. So, you know, why we have existentialism and how that came about when it did, you know, all of it. So there's a reflection on what was on what was happening in society.
0: Okay. And Bill, you actually do sound like Plato and or Aristotle in voicing the cynicism about the masses, because, oh. of course, Plato thought, yeah, OK, everybody should have their reason running things. But there are different kinds of people, and they're going to be able to do that to different extents and to different ways. And some of you know the, the philosopher kings, the gold people. You got your <laughs> your brass people or bronze people. That desire is going to be always going to be the thing that's in charge. Let's make them the merchants, for instance. They can work for their own greed, but still to be a, a merchant and show up to work every day, you still can't be like a desire monster. You still have to have the reason in control, just so you can like go and actually fulfill your function. But you're not capable of being the full-on philosopher. And Aristotle had a similar, like, you know, he believed in slavery and that some people are naturally slaves. And so as repulsive as really both of these views are, there's at least some recognition that maybe the telos, the potential works differently in different people. And you could do that to then, as Monica said, go the existentialist way that maybe, yes, we have bodies that are healthy in certain ways. We have minds that can be out of order. It's probably not good to have memory loss. If you could, uh, you know, work on that somehow, there's things that are sort of objectively good for parts of us, but what constitutes our flourishing is ultimately something that we as individuals have to work out. You know, you have, you're born into a situation of your body, your personality, also your environment, your society, all this stuff. And you have to navigate that yourself. And there's not necessarily one way to be the best bill you can be. But there are lots of ways to fail. There are lots of you know, and that authenticity might be a good guide for be the authentic bill, as opposed to doing whatever society has told you, say.
2: I will say while while not everyone I've met is necessarily down to do a critical analysis of themselves, everyone is more than happy to tell you what's wrong with other people Mm. and what's wrong with the world. And I think there is probably something inside of us, you know, even if people aren't gonna sit down with a slide rule and figure out their philosophy. They do understand this notion of, well, this is how things operate, or that's how that person is, or this is how that group is, you know, that political group or that business or that. Guy. This is how the big business world works. You know, even if their theory is wrong, I do think that it is kind of a pretty human thing to try to like put things into groups and try to figure out what's driving and you know what's behind that group. Everyone is a junior psychologist. No one has ever like, oh. So there's this guy at the office, and here's his problem. He's like, I have never met anyone who isn't willing to unprofessionally psychoanalyze someone else in their lives. If we consider that curiosity about the world, I think maybe it just shows up in places that it shows up.
0: I think that Bill's, again, kind of getting at this. When you're talking about a virtue ethics, is that necessarily a self-help thing? Or is it, as Bill is saying, most often, if you're going to put forward a norm, We're going to judge other people by the norm, right? It's not ever going to just be, I'm going to be the best me I can be. That's like a pretty exceptional enlightened, or maybe that's just like a fashion of the time that I can ignore. (laughs) I wish other people would be more considerate and stuff, but like, I'm the only one I can work on. Can we in any way outward project? Is it useful to do ethics only on yourself? Or can we do it in the more traditional way?
1: Well, I don't know how to... Jew ethics on someone else per se, but I would, you know, it, well,
0: you tell people why, how
2: they're broken. Your problem is, I mean, you see Steve Wilkos? That's all it is. Your problem. It's like, yeah.
1: The best way always is, like, lead by example, of course. But if I can be so bold as jump in with the art conversation, because even people who, you know, are like, I'm not interested in therapy, I'm not interested in sociology I'm not interested in anthropology I'm not interested like any of these things people usually like to be entertained in one way form or another and that's what art does is it reflects back I mean Aristotle argues that it's cathartic and so it helps us to really understand the human condition but even I would argue entertainment or comp something that helps you know relieve us from our daily stresses and helps us to put ourselves in the shoes of the other is a big part of that so I argue that like great playwrights, for example, are philosophers in and of themselves, and the actors are having to put themselves in the positions that allow the audience member, one person to say, me too, I thought I was the only one. And I think that's incredibly important. And that's why in ancient Greek society, that is where they learned morality, was actually going to the theater. They were essentially morality plays when you look at things like Oedipus and Phaedra and things like that.
0: Don't kill your dad. Don't marry your mom or Star
2: Wars.
1: Well, yeah. And you got the hero's journey and
2: we have a hero and yeah, the hero wants to share power and the villain wants to consolidate power.
1: And these all come from archetypes. And, you know, and again, I think these are things that are just really innate in the human condition and that we were doing. That was how we learned like where where was safe and not to go to safe when we were in tribes and roaming the deserts so, you know we would sit around the campfire at night now we just sit around the glowing television screen but it's essentially the <laughs> same concept and so that i find particularly fascinating and even for the the skeptics around you know neuroscience or anything related to sort of self improvement in those forms i think even even if you look at sports like i'm not a sports person but you instantly understand something about uh, camaraderie and, you know, you brought up ambition before and things like that. So I think it's really fascinating the way that we yeah, where we turn, even when we think we're not educating ourselves. We still are
2: mega dittos. Let me just say that
1: <laughs> the official term mega dittos. I like it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's our old Rush Limbaugh thing. And I don't know. I don't, oh, I'd rather well. stay dead. But this whole idea, I think humans are we love stories. I think we're storytellers. We're story listeners. I think it's in our DNA. And I think as far as like this whole notion of getting the quote-unquote masses to believe in something or buy into something is we have to tell them the story. And I think art does that. You know, the creation myth of our nation does that. And we believe in all these independence and things because that's our story. That's the story of America. That's how it happened. So that's our story. And I think about, I grew up in Florida and I've got a lot of friends. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's Actually, believe it or not, I am a descendant of Pioneers before it was even a state.
0: My relatives came over on the Mayflower. The Mayflower,
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Therefore, I am an expert. But this idea that, like, you know, there's some things that come around with Southern pride and Confederate flag and all that stuff, and it's like, well, one of the problems is for many people that I've talked to, anecdotal, they have two story options. One story option is you still believe in the old South and everything like that, and and it's you know the Confederate flag is is history. But the other story is maybe you're a terrible person. And dumb. And, it's, <laughs> and there needs to be another story. That's what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> Historically, both are true. And I think yes. that's for all of us as human beings. Yes. So there are certain things that our ancestors did or that we do. Don't even like me, myself, Monica. There's certain you could write my story and you can make me a villain. You could write my story and make me a hero. I can. You can, oh. you can really, yeah, you can really <laughs> go either way. So, or I'm just a plebeian and I'm in the background and I, that's the thing. I think that when we attach too much of our identity on myth and fable. Again, they're there to teach us. They're not there to, in my opinion, because I guess you could kind of argue if you're of a certain religious traditions, you could say, no, that definitely absolutely happened exactly the way that that said. To me, that wasn't the point of those stories. So it's hard because it's like a similar thing, like say, okay, I just finished. I binged watched Ted Lasso. So I'll talk about it in terms of football slash soccer, you know, like. <laughs> it is important for the team to have camaraderie, for them to want to win, for there to be the team colors and the team mascot and all of those things and to be proud of the history of the team. All of those things matter. But at the same time, what matters most at the end of the day in the Ted Lasso world is that you are a good person and you show sportsmanship and you try hard and you do your best. And you're ultimately, you're not any better or worse than somebody on the other team as a human being. And that's where history has a lot of problems. If you are taking, for example, the South, the problem is not sipping tea. The problem <laughs> is yeah, yeah. when there's a belief system that, you know, one group was better than another group of people. That's the problem. Certainly. So I think people get confused with words like pride, for example, or things that aren't bad enough themselves. But when we see them as the only way, then
2: and it's all tied up in those stories. Mm-hmm. And which story do we want? And making sure people and again, Ted laughs wants people to buy into the story that If you're a good person, you are a winner in life, even if you're a loser on the soccer field.
0: Well, and you could take
2: the flourishing
0: of a particular individual as a story. You're trying to write your own potential. For Plato, for instance, you couldn't have an evil person that is also fulfilling that story. You know, it's sort of built into write your story to fulfill your potential is to be virtuous. Well, you might ask, and I think since you brought up, Monica, the tragedies, these morality plays. so. I got out of Sophocles, the ancient tragedian, the idea that it could be that the good for everyone is not actually compatible with the good for everyone else. It might be that there are, whether it's different value systems, whether it's just different positions, that, you know, I'm doing my duty and that actually requires that I kill you and you doing your, (laughs) you know, we're locked in, we're on opposing sides of some battle. And so you might think that it's actually not possible. Not only can you not export you know, say what's good for me is good for everybody, but it might be what's good for me is not even compatible for what's good for everybody, not necessarily just because I'm a bastard, right? Of course, mm-hmm. the serial killer, what's good for them is not going to be good for everybody else, but even ruling out cases like that. I mean, Monica, do you, do you have any sympathy with that sort of view that says competition? Maybe part of the overall story is that we can't all play together, right? If the viruses get to be their fullest selves, then we don't get to be ours.
1: That's the reality of the world that we live in. I mean, my dad was a fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy. Like, I was definitely not raised in, like, a pacifist household. But I think that's what makes war so egregious and extreme. Like, once we don't have to live in that world most of the time. Most of us, if you're listening to this podcast, probably, like, obviously, if you are in Ukraine or something right now, like, you ha- your reality is very different. And the rules of the world change and that's why it's not something to be taken lightly. I'm not saying that it's something that, that should never happen or that people can't protect themselves and things like that, but then literally the value systems change. What mattered to Ukrainians the day before Russia invaded changed the day after. So, taken in its more extreme form, then I think you're looking at something else or, you know, why I think for example stoicism is so important for POWs, you know, they are not necessarily going to be as concerned at that point with existentialism or something per se, or, you know, epicureanism or something like depending on if you are put into these extreme situations, then your entire value system shifts. And that's where I, you know, you can look to Shakespeare, you can look to any of those stories and understand like even the way a comedy or tragedy is defined in Shakespearean terms is different than what we would talk about today in a TV show. It's like, do things end out of order? Or do they end in order? So at the end of the wedding and people are married to the right people, <laughs> like, meaning they were both royalty, uh, even though they were dressed in disguise and didn't know it. Well, then it's a comedy, even if sad things happen. If you shake up the divine order of things, you kill a king, whatever, then it's going to be a tragedy. So I think that because the actual values of the world, quote unquote, change. For most of us, in, you know, I'm looking out the window right now of where I'm living in Highgate in London, and it's lovely. And it doesn't mean that people aren't having really real problems and struggles and things like that. But there's a reason why people walking down the street right now aren't shouldn't be running into the middle of the cars and the cars shouldn't be racing the stop signs and whatever because they're not fleeing for their lives or living in society.
0: Well, and I just recorded a podcast on succession, which is described mm-hmm. by all the intelligentsia as this is a modern tragedy, and yet it ends. Not to spoil anything explicitly, but the people that shouldn't be in charge of world-changing events are not in charge of world-changing events. So even though it's tragic for them, it's actually good. It's better than the alternatives for everybody else. People are in their proper places by not winning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're low on time here. Do you want to get on the scene let's, in? Let's more? get a meaty, meaty scene
1: in. to
2: finish this up. Now, Monica, I sent you that little thing. I can send you a little more.
1: Yeah, because I don't know what that, that is. That's fine. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I missed some memos. That's probably my actual memory loss or something.
0: That's totally fine. That's totally fine. <laughs> People who tuned in to hear this discussion about Eudaimonia and are like, why are you stopping then to have one of these nonsensical things? I'm not trying to stack the deck against improv in advance here, but I'm just saying like... Oh, no, we lost today. We lost hardcore today. Off balance, right? That That is an important thing for Eudaimonia is to be able to not... As Bill said, just have somebody tell you this is the track you go on, but to be able to think on your feet and get outside your comfort zone. And that's all the curiosity. So
1: way to bring it back. (laughs) Improv is
0: necessary for eudaimonia.
1: That's called recall.
2: (laughs) You mentioned the order and the social order. First, I took it to be chronological, but then you meant it more like social Mm -hmm. order. Well, this thing I just sent you, you can see how you could take that one word that starts with a U and change it to violates the social order. If that makes sense.
1: I do. This is interesting. I'm curious about this because this goes against all of the improv training that I ever had. So I'm not quite.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fine. There is another word you can put in quotation marks if that makes you feel better.
1: That's the word. Oops. Oh, no. I'd send it to everyone. Oh, It means nothing
2: to me. It's (laughs) okay. It means nothing to me. We are far more sophisticated. (laughs) That's part of life. We're in a courtroom. It's just going to be full of those things. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: We're ready to go. So, So we need to begin, especially you and I, Mark in a very flat following the social order
0: we uh, failed to be slice of we, life last time so we'll, i will no, try. We did. they were fine they were fine they were absolutely fine they're absolutely fine
2: oh boy well i think we got it done i think we got uh we got this yard finished
0: yeah it looks pretty good.
2: well done everybody well done I, i'm i've got high hopes for this gig thing to work out this lawn service thing to to work you know
0: yeah, I was skeptical. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know if we could really uh, push a lawnmower in uh, straight lines over a lawn for uh, yeah. repeatedly until done. But yes, apparently we, uh, we did that. We did a bunch of dumb actors looking to
2: get some money between jobs, you know, cutting grass. I think that's cool.
1: You know, I mean, nothing is more exciting than watching grass grow besides cutting that grass for sure. <laughs> in straight lines. In a big
0: lawn, I like that it was flourishing. It was trying to do its thing. And we just cut them all right to the same level to meet our arbitrary beauty standards.
1: They needed to be in an equal footing. You know, we don't want one overshadowing the other. Mm-hmm.
0: We're just cutting grass here.
2: This is not a, a socialism experiment, or We're just cutting grass. I'll get the invoice together. We'll, uh, I'll
0: write it up. We'll get, we'll get that check and roll on out of here. I mean, should we do some edging? Do you think they'll care that the grass that's right next to the tree is like longer? We don't have an edger. We did not build that into our, you know, a weed whacker. We did not build that into our budget. We just got the lawnmowers and that's it.
2: Yeah, if you want to clip it with your your, it. that's fine. You know, if I mean, I don't don't think they'll mind too much. Yeah. This isn't like an equality for the grass thing. Let's not make it political for the
0: grass.
1: I don't know. We could trim There's the oak trees. We could trim those down to size. I bet you the grass is pretty jealous of, of the oak.
0: I definitely did not bring the equipment for that. I am What about the fl- what about
1: the rose bed? What about the rose garden? I mean, and those have thorns. Those are painful, unexpected.
0: We could just run the lawnmower right into the rose bed. What do you think we should don't, do? Don't don't cut down their roses, please, all right? This is our first gig, all right? Let's not cut down, let's not ruin it. I mean, did we like think up a name for the is this going to like be an LLC cuz I was thinking like good enough lawn care? <laughs> we only mm. have the one tool, we don't have the others. We can get more tools. I don't think good enough is a terrible name. It's honest, I guess, but I think, I think we'll be fine. I think we'll be fine. I think we'll be fine. Competent lawn care. How about that? I use that in a positive way, but other people have said, don't call yourself competent.
1: Cut you down to size. <laughs> Cut
0: lawn you care? down to size. I like that.
2: Again, it implies that there is a proper size and I, I really just don't want to, mm. whatever the customer wants for the length of their grass, I think is fine. And if they want a patch to grow long or be short, I, I, you know, I don't want to put judgment on.
1: Bigger is not better. Grass, no.
2: Out of work
0: actor lawn care. How about that? Uh, I
1: don't even think you need to put the out of work in front of it, especially if there's a strike happening. I think you could just put actor lawn care and they'll get the idea.
0: I like that because I don't feel like authentically, (laughs) I mean, maybe it's only because I did it this once, but I don't feel like I'm authentically a mower of lawns. I'm an actor who is doing this. So to imply in the name of it that it's sort of our nature, our character, that we are lawn mowers, that would be too much.
1: But if we're really good at it and we're, making the gardens better we're really contributing in more positive ways to the world than just you know your trident commercial
2: i think we're just cutting grass i I think we're just cutting grass y'all i we were really reading into this it's not too much we made a 100 bucks today too i think that's great and we've got more lined up this week that's fantastic let's just take it for what it is let's just take it for what it is not
0: assign too much meaning huh? Can we just add out of work Literarily inclined actors, because I think that that's better represented. Are we
2: networking again? Is this another networking thing?
1: Well, if absolutely, if the side of our van has our, Twitter well, actually,
2: yeah, that's very much that I'm
0: on hundred percent agreement. Can we get the lawnmower, make it so it cuts our logo into each, each blade of grass? If you want to <laughs> pay for the tool and die to make that happen, we can make that happen.
1: I think I saw it on TikTok. It'd go over well for sure. Okay.
0: I'm really just doing this on TikTok and not doing this on actual lawns, it seems like that would reach more customers.
1: But we could get AI to just do it, and then we don't even have to actually go out there and mow it at all.
0: Yeah, we, we have to mow the lawn. We actually have to mow the lawns. Okay, one dissatisfied customer, but then a whole world that has been satisfied by this presentation of the beautiful AI-generated lawns that we have imbued with some real subtext some real literary, uh, some metaphors. That's not real. That's just fake. People
2: applauding at AI is not, no grass is being cut. I don't think that's... But
1: what if the grass is greener on the other side? Will that make them any happier?
0: (laughs) That seems like a really bad slogan. The grass will always be greener on the sides that we have not (laughs) treated.
2: (laughs) Don't worry. You'll always think your neighbors
0: have have had a better lawn care than you will. Yeah. That would be humble. I think people like humility to really be, if you have a, a brand name that kind of just sets expectations really low. And then when you actually produce a nice lawn, then they're just like, irony is a big thing too. So I think people appreciate that. Again, going with the literary character of our branding, if not the actual care. Such an 85-year-old lady, okay? But she just wants her lawn cut. Let's just cut
2: grass. Can we just cut grass?
1: What if we like also plant some 85-year-old roses and it would remind her, like the seeds are from 85 years ago. Mm. And there can be a story with it. That we can associate and then she would feel extra connected to her garden and it would remind her of the year that she was born. And we, oh, and maybe if it's a rose, I think that means she was born in October. I think that's the flower of October. I'm not sure, but we should find out what her birth month is. And then we can also find out. So she's got a certain stone that it should be right. Like, you know, I'm aquamarine because I'm March. Mm-hmm. So we could fill the sidewalks with the stones, and then we could do like a seance. We could be like, like astrological actor mower people. I've
2: never been more terrified of a, of a gasp than your gasp.
0: What's going to follow that gasp? I I really like this things that are 85 years old because people would really appreciate if you're an 85 year old person, I think probably only for the elderly. I don't, I wouldn't do this to a, a 35 year old person, but just find other things that are also 85 years old and put them on the lawn. I was just at this cancer rummage sale and I got a whole bunch of crap that's, I could call it 85 years old and I think we could just unload it here and it would spruce the place up. I heard it was a, a very well run rummage sale. I mean, I don't
1: remember what you guys were even
2: talking about. <laughs> eh, we'll step right there. We'll step right there <laughs> for time.
1: I didn't get to try what you wanted me to do because I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I brought
1: up the, the U word.
0: I know. Maybe I have to do it. So I ended up doing it again. <laughs> oh, It went right over my head. There's too, I'm so sorry, Monica. There's too much I'm so good sorry. stuff in there. That <laughs> Any guesses? You're taking umbrage? At Not umbrage.
1: There's 0% chance he's going to it.
0: Universality. Uh, you... <laughs> the key
2: is we all need to start very plain and slice of life and then look for this
0: U word. Undertunities. I'm looking for undertunities to add puns. Okay. Unusual. Someone who is working at
2: a charity function but has no idea who the charity is for someone who is with a lawn care service concerned about the socioeconomic health of the grass blades, all being the same height. And where they be jealous of the tree in that world, that would be unusual. And the idea is, is that these unusual things may fall out organically. We may not intend to forget that it's what charity we're working at, They happen organically, and the trick, per the UCB, and it's not necessarily bad, uh, some people don't like it, but I think it's just fine, is to start something pretty boring and look for that first unusual thing and make your scene about that first unusual thing.
1: Oh, make it about. See, that's the instructions in the chat (laughs) were question the unusual thing. And I was like, oh, I was always taught in, in improv that you don't question it. You just, you know, you take it and you run with it. At least that's what I train in corporate workshops. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's totally fine that's totally fine but you know it's like i'm not questioning that somebody said it uh, i agree that somebody said this you don't know what charity we're at are you re- re-? you know it's come on now we're, we're thin slicing this thing <laughs> but does that make sense mark in your improv journey
0: yes i think we've done similar things i like that you picked that example because that was a thing where monica wasn't just blowing off your instruction and not being slice of life <laughs> she was just saying you're the one that's saying it's a charity can you tell us As improper, what charity this is, (laughs) because I don't want to take the swing. I'm going to give this to you.
2: Well, again, it happens quite organically and naturally. Mm. Things will come up. And we can also, if something comes up that I don't want the scene to be about, I can always kind of laugh it off. Oh, that's silly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you'll make sure the grass is the same height. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs)
1: It's like me on a date. Same thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Accommodating people's weirdness until they are bridged too far, and then we can't accommodate anymore.
0: We talked a lot about a thing that you've already thought a lot about. And so you probably didn't learn anything new, Monica, about the good life, though maybe the listeners have. And then we had this thing that Bill just described, which was pretty cool of finding some opportunity to point out the unusual and build on that, even if nobody is trying because <laughs> there are a bunch of hacks in the first five minutes and throw in little jokey things that I can't resist putting in. Mark.
1: I mean, nothing's fancier than what is the not fancier? That's not the word I'm using. Funnier. Than a uh, childhood cancer. So I don't see how that one can be any
0: better. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so which of those to conclude here, you need to decide a winner for this uh, discussion. Is it, is it the philosophy lesson? It's not me. The philosophy lesson or the improv lesson.
1: Oh, I decide.
0: It is on you. You're the judge.
1: <laughs> um, I think it's a draw. I think we're going to get a tie on this one.
0: I'll take a draw because I really felt like y'all <laughs> won. So I'll take, I'll take the draw. <laughs> Both Bill and I are too tumbled so that when we do these without a guest, we can't decide.
1: Do you I do this see. on your off time? This is like what you do for fun, you mean? Or you just mean sometimes you have this show without guests?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> no, no.
1: <laughs> I was like, can we count that as the unusual thing? That this is what you just
0: yeah, do? All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm so glad we had the undertunity. That's going to catch on to talk to you today, Monica. This is a lot of fun.
1: Pleasure was mine. Thank you.
0: Super great stuff. Super. That was so great talking with you. For sure. All right. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, everybody.
1: And see.
0: <laughs> if you enjoyed this, get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you're hearing this on the Partially Examined Life feed, please go subscribe directly to the Philosophy versus Improv podcast so you won't miss any episodes. And you'll see our whole back catalog of episodes in that feed. While you are on the Apple Podcasts site subscribing, please leave a nice rating and review of this podcast. Better yet, avoid all the ads. Here are post game discussions for nearly every episode and experience the video for this and most other recent episodes at patreon.com slash philosophy improv. Thanks so much for listening. Bankrupts!
2: Bankrupts!